Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. This is Houston, say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. Welcome back to Space Junk Pod. In part one of this podcast, I spoke with Kerry Doherty, Australian space historian. Kerry told me about an essay competition she was involved with in 1990, which asked Australian primary school children to describe how we could use asteroids. Kerry was amazed to find that a startling number of children thought we should use asteroids for penal colonies. When I was that age, my overwhelming conception of space was as a place where the rules of physics could be broken and where, by rearranging matter, space and time, we could travel through wormholes to other galaxies or even to parallel universes. At 10 years old, I dreamed of exploring, building ships from cardboard boxes in our living room on rainy days, and reading the work of Madeleine Lengel, Jules Verne, and Philip Pullman. If I'd been asked to write about the moon, asteroids, or space, I would have said that we should use them for travel, exploration, and science. If perspectives could change so quickly, in 15 years, since Kerry's competition and when I was in primary school, I wondered what today's children might think about space and our place in it, another 15 years after I was in primary school, and 30 years on from 1990. I visited the Year 6 kids at a public school in Melbourne suburbs to find out. Um, my name's Sunday and I'm 11. Thomas, 11. I'm Lucian and I'm, el- I'm 11. I'm Nadia, 11 years old. I'm Maggie, I'm 11. <clears throat> I'm Camille and I'm 11 years old. I'm Queenie, I'm 11 years old. Cormac, 11. Evie, I'm a, and I'm 11. I'm Drew, I'm 11. James, 11. Yeah, I'm Kai, 11. Hugo, I'm 11. Uh, I'm Ben, I'm 11. I'm Taylor, I'm 11. Sam, 11. Nikki, 11. Luke, 11. I'm Cassidy, and I'm 11. But I'm 10. Margaret, I'm 11 years old. I'm Ben, I'm 11. One, two, three. Good morning, stars shine. The earth says hello. You twinkle above us. We twinkle below. My first question to this group was about the overview effect. What would it be like to be out in space and look back at Earth? It would look really small compared to the rest of space. It would look tiny, but then when you come back down, it's so big now. I think it would be life-changing, and also it would feel bigger on the inside than the out. Although you know it's small compared to the rest of space, you feel like it's massive compared to the rest of space. It would make you see how small Earth is and make you really appreciate it, I reckon. When you're on there, it would be pretty cool. 
I think Edward looked kind of lonely in the dark. Yeah, because there'd be like nothing else really around it. I then asked them to think about being on the moon. What would that feel like? I think being on the moon, like Margaret said, would be a bit lonely because it's just so far away from everything else. Would it be as lonely if you got to take your friends? No. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? You'd prefer to take your family? Yeah, because usually, like, I would trust my family more than friends. Do you think the moon would be a dangerous or scary place? might be scary because, like, you're pretty much in the middle of space and you don't know where anything is. Well, everything will look, like, the same because it doesn't have landscape. It doesn't have, like, trees and plants and animals and things and houses. So it won't look, like, it'll, you would probably feel like you're very lost because there's, like, no, nothing to tell you where you are. I think it would be hard because there's... As Nadia said, there are no houses around and it would be very lonely and you'd have to build up everything and so you'd have to take people with you because you also get very bored, I think. But you're still in space, so it'll be interesting at the same time. But you have to build everything, so that would be a bit annoying. It's like building Earth again. And I think that... Living and being on the moon, you'd have to adjust your day-to-day life completely because it's very different. Like, it doesn't rain. It, like, the weather's so different. There isn't, like, the fresh water. And, like, of course, the gravity is completely different. So you'd have to change your lifestyle to adjust to the moon. And I think it would be, like, weird because there's no other living life form on the Earth, um, on the moon. And it's just, like, all blank. I think it would be quite scary knowing that you only have a limited amount of oxygen, water and food. I think it would be very restricted, but it would also open up a lot of opportunities and you would get to see how small every individual human is compared to the rest of the world. (laughs) I think it would be really, like, extremely scary because you're so isolated and so far away from Earth. Their answers focused on the hostility and differences of living on a place that was sterile and unfamiliar. They imagined the anxiety and isolation they might feel. Already, these children were thinking differently about their relationship to space and to Earth. I asked them to identify some things they might do to make the moon seem less scary and more familiar. To make it less scary, I'd probably say bring more people basically rebuild some of the landmarks on Earth, send them into space, and just have them orbit. What sort of landmarks would you want to take to the moon? The Eiffel Tower, because you could probably jump off it and not die. Statue of Liberty, to do the same as the Eiffel Tower. Uh Uh-huh. And um, Big Ben, to know the time. Uh, I would take the Eureka Tower, because it would, like, it would... Look nice to look down on the earth and then, like, look on the moon. And, like, if you just want to get down, you can just jump off and not go down a giant flight of stairs. Does anyone else have any landmarks they want to take to the moon? Uluru. Yeah, I'm Kai, 11. I would want to take my house with me. But is that because of the things that are in your house or do you just like your house? I like my house and I don't want to, like, die outside. Fair enough. What else would we want to take to the moon? Anyone over here? Yes. Um, we could... Take an entire city if we couldn't be bothered to build another city on the moon. Just get a, a big net, wrap, wrap, wrap it around Melbourne and just shoot it up and place it, <laughs> place it on the moon and then that'll work. 
Um, you could take libraries to remind you of Earth because, like, a lot of people said it would be lonely and if you, like, remember your where you came from, you would feel less lonely and you'd feel more, like, in the moment and you'd feel more connected. You took the things that are from that planet, you'd feel more like you're there. They spoke of the fragility of Earth and its loneliness in the vastness of space. They also discussed their own fragility and their desire for the familiar. When I asked a room full of 11-year-olds what they would want to take with them, there was not one mention of phones, tablets or games. Instead, these children chose meaningful landmarks, ancient and modern, and their own houses and a library. The big topic in recent times has been space mining. Should we mine the moon? I put this to the kids who so far had proven themselves to be more than capable of tackling the tough questions. I feel like it wouldn't be right because we don't own that planet and, well, I thought I think we should just leave it the way it is. Uh, I don't think we should mine the moon because we've already ruined one planet and I don't think we should ruin another one. Um, so, well, you know how we're sort of like trying to fix, I guess, Earth, like trying to be sustainable and so on? We should try and, if we really needed to make like a city or like another sort of earth on the moon, then we could just try to make it sustainable, like what we're trying to do here instead. So mm. like solar panels um, and like being resourceful and things like this instead. I don't think we should mine the moon because if we do, then more people will come and more people will come and probably won't mine the whole moon, but it will just make the moon look horrible, really. What would, how would that make you feel? Well, that would mean we'd have ruined another lovely piece of galaxy really. We've already ruined Earth, so don't ruin another place. Well, mining definitely contributes to like the destruction of Earth and if we did the same to the moon then we might lose that planet too and then we'd be really lost and we'd have to find something before it was too late and that could definitely be difficult and it could put like the human population in risk if we didn't have somewhere we could go. What do you think? Well, we're already mining on our own planet and we're taking enough water on our own planet, so why would we keep on doing it to every other thing? It just doesn't make sense that we would do that because we have planets, water on our own planet and we're taking that away to get coal and to get gas and electricity. We could just take it to the moon. So it seemed pretty clear. Mining the moon was not cool in 2020. But what if we were to mine the moon so that we could go to other planets? I think we should mine the moon because it, it already looks disgusting in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, apart, from, uh, I can't, apart from reflecting the, sun, the sunlight, I don't really think, or it, I guess it does affect the weather in some ways, but apart from that, I don't really think it affects the Earth that much. And I think it would be fine to mine the moon, but not how we mine Earth in the same way. And then make a hydrogen-powered elevator to the next Earth. Dark side, though. Only on the dark side? Yes. So, therefore, you can't see the change. How would it affect us if we did mine the moon? Um, well, I don't think it would really affect us if we're not living on it yet, but maybe it could. I don't know. Well, it might, because um, the fact is that the moon protects Earth from meteorites, I think, occasionally. So if we, got, if we mined the moon and made it small, then we would all probably die, which would be bad. Um, I don't think we should. It would be so difficult to transport, like, 
all the materials to build a whole nother like earth I guess so yeah why couldn't we just mine the moon and then send a spaceship up to the moon for it to refuel and then go to a different planet because it would have the fuel um it might affect us if climate change doesn't like stop well I mean like we might be living there if earth is just completely like unhabitable so it could affect us in that way that we don't really have any resources there well if the moon's just a big space rock, technically speaking, um, couldn't we just go out and find other like th- rocks in space and then mine them instead of the moon? And then that would work, because it wouldn't affect the moon, but you'd still get the stuff you wanted. Yeah, but the moon's like... <laughs> I don't know. The moon's the moon? Yeah, exactly. Well, if we move to the moon, that could also start wars. There wouldn't be enough room for every single person on our planet to move to the moon. Because as we already know, the moon is a lot smaller than the Earth and there's a lot of people on the Earth right now and that's already growing. I think that we shouldn't mine the moon because we could build a Dyson sphere around the sun and harness its energy to power our rockets. I showed the kids a short video which imagined a city on the moon, a city driven by technology, featuring futuristic transport, jobs and plentiful resources, and asked if they would want to live there. What do you feel when you watch that video about that city? How does it make you feel? Oh, not very good because I feel like we're just wasting a planet that we could have made into a nice place. And instead you've just like put all this technology on it. I feel like we're kind of just going, we're going to a planet, using it all up and then just moving on. Like we can just just waste this planet on all these things and then just abandon it. I don't like it. I think that we, like, shouldn't ruin the moon, even though, like, some people will use it to, like, get rid of some of the population so Earth isn't too bad. It's just then there'll be too much population on the moon and there won't be enough room in Earth anymore. I think we should build a city on the moon because Earth is overpopulated. But once the moon gets overpopulated, we can just go, go to another planet and make that one overpopulated and keep doing that until we run out of planets and then find some other solution. Well, if more people, you know, like, acknowledge climate change and, like, make even just small changes to their, like, daily life and, like, reducing plastic and reducing, like, carbon emission, that could definitely help with the earth so we could stay in this nice place instead of going to somewhere that isn't as you know visually pleasing um i kind of want to go but it's just like i'd probably just have a holiday house there or something i want to stay on good old earth one thing that definitely provides joy on earth is like animals nature and like the earth of the earth yes well, I think one good thing about Earth is that there's, like, options. In the video we saw on the moon, it was all just the same sort of things. In our planet that we're living in now, you can choose to do so many things that you couldn't do on the moon. The things that grow, but on the moon it would be so dry, there wouldn't be, like, the birds. You wouldn't be able to walk outside and see the blue sky. It would be, it'd be dark and grey. And it would be so industrial that you wouldn't have that sort of, like, foresty freedom. You'd just have the... So the verdict was in. 
The moon was okay for a holiday house, but in the words of Marie Kondo, it was not the sort of place that sparked joy. Finally, I asked the kids to think about how looking at Earth from the moon, via the sort of camera the Moon Village Association hopes to launch, might affect them or otherwise be useful. Um, I would use it because then you could see, like, typhoons or things, so then you could warn people in that area that something's coming and then you can get ready or you could leave, so, like, not as many lives are lost. Like Marcus said, it could help you with, like, weather patterns and realising, like, when to evacuate. But also, it could be just a simple reminder of, like, this the planet's beauty and like why we should protect it like if you look at it from not the point of like you're on it if you look at it from like behind it's like itself it isn't just somewhere you are it's like its own place and you could see that and that might perhaps be a motivation to like help it and keep it nice fly me to the moon let me play among the stars and now, back to the adults. I sat down with Maddie Badansky to tell me more about the Moon Village Association and this camera. I'm here with Madeline Vandersky from the Moon Village Association. Madeline, tell me, what is it that the Moon Village Association does? Thanks, Annie. Um, so the Moon Village Association is fostering uh, international stakeholders to fulfil an objective of getting everybody to work towards uh, creating a sustainable economy around new ventures on the moon and I'm part of the MVA payload team. And what is the MVA payload? Uh, so the MVA payload is the first payload for the Moon Village Association. Uh, we're really excited to be sending a camera to the moon and uh, looking at capturing the overview effect and bringing it back to Earth. That sounds fantastic. So what do you envisage? We'd have uh, this, this camera sitting on the moon sending back an image to Earth. And would that be live? Would it be something that you could see, you know, dial up on your phone, like the Bureau of Meteorology stuff? Yeah, I really hope that it would be live. I would love for the camera to be able to live stream it in 4K or maybe even a higher resolution because it means yeah. we'll be able to do even more uh, with the footage. Uh, but at this stage, I know we have um, some institutional partners have spoken with a camera that will be able to attach to a lunar rover. Uh, what its capabilities are at this stage isn't confirmed, but there's been a huge amount of ideas about um, if it will be an image, if it will be live streaming, if it will be a video. Um, mm. So, yeah, really looking forward to seeing what the camera can actually do. Yeah, so in its kind of initial planning phases at this mm, point yeah, um, to send some sort of camera to, to look back on Earth. And why is that? What, what's the point of looking back at Earth? Um, well, with the overview effect, a lot of astronauts have, when they've been on the East, reported to see this cognitive shift when they see the Earth hanging there in, in space and, and have really marvelled at our planet, our home. Um, I think there's a lot of interest in how the overview effect could affect people on Earth that don't have the ability to go to the International Space Station and see that for themselves. So uh, capturing that and, and, yeah, bringing that home would be really interesting just to see what kind of reaction that would have or mm. what we could do with that image to further understand our place 
in the cosmos or, you know, just appreciate Earth, I think. Mm. Mm. And the Moon Village Association, it conveys this idea of community and yeah. of, of working together. Can you explain a little bit more about the ethos? Yep. So um, the Moon Village Association was started as a non-governmental organisation in Vienna. Um, I've myself only been a member for a year or so, uh, which I think highlights the amazing community of the Moon Village that I've been able to become a part of this project. Um, the idea behind the project is really different to at the moment how everyone is trying to get something to space um, through generally finance and a huge amount of planning. Uh, what is different about the way that we're approaching it is that we're more so looking for a bit of a collaboration. So if someone is already sending a rocket up there, how can the Moon Village kind of help with, I guess, positioning the project to get on the rocket to go there, um, but kind of trying to build that community with people that are not necessarily just in the Moon Village, but within the space community everywhere. Thomas Gooch is the regional coordinator of the Moon Village Association. I cornered him to talk about Wednesday's event. I'm here with Thomas Gooch, the founder of the Office of Other Spaces and the Office of Planetary Observations. Thomas, it's so nice to chat to you. Um, I wanted to ask you firstly, what is your background? What, where did you come from and how did you get involved in space? Hi, Annie. Yeah, great to be here with you. And uh, thanks. My background is uh, training in the discipline of landscape architecture. So that's designing cities, landscapes, public space, uh, how people inhabit cities. So all the time as a landscape architect, you're looking to bring nature into cities and how to integrate both the built environment and the natural environment. So through career in that and a number of steps uh, moved into earth observations and understanding that this gives us quantitative data of the environment for us to make city planning decisions within. So as an engineer, it's a lot easier to count cars and have arguments about why you should build something than it has been to quantify nature and make decisions underpinned by data. What What's the philosophy that you bring to your, um, like the office of other spaces? It's What's the philosophy behind that? It's really that we've got the intelligence now to continue extracting from the earth uh, and other planets because we can understand planetary systems. Uh, mm. We can understand local natural systems as well. That's air quality, uh, water quality, vegetation quantity. And we can begin to make human-centered decisions that encourage those habitats and environments rather than cause destruction. So why not utilize that tech and that, that connection with nature uh, to move forwards to inhabiting place that enriches life rather than degrades it? Hmm. Yeah. How did you come to get involved with the Moon Village Association? Uh, look, in 2015, knew there was a lot of activity around going to the moon and going back to space, Industry 4.0, and aware of the movement SpaceX was making, uh, Jeff Bezos, and that this was an industry going to grow and was indeed being supported by the Luxembourg government and mining companies were established at the time. So from that date, really moved into the industry in terms of turning up and having those conversations about bringing landscape to the table. 
So in 2017, in the establishment of the Moon Village Association, uh, applied for a position there as the Australian Regional Coordinator and mm. was accepted. So I took on that role really to bring a landscape sensitive perspective to the conversation. Why does it matter? Why does it matter if, you know, let's say we go to the moon and we build a city there. Why does this concept of landscape matter? Surely it's just about technology, you know, surely if you can get where you need to go and you've got some healthcare and, you know, you've got schools and those sorts of things, like, does it matter what it looks like? Yeah, look, I think mattering what it looks like, shaping our environment affects all of us physically, psychologically, affects our day-to-day movement, how we inhabit place. So at a ground level design, yeah, place matters and how you shape it impacts our mental health uh, particularly and our connection with the wider cosmos, let's say. So So at the moment, a lot of our built cities are engineered, uh, typically moving from A to B. But if we just start to bring in ecological thinking uh, and also take that to the moon, how we understand systems uh, and we respond to that through incising in the earth and being a part of that system, that matters because we can then have long-term sustainable systems at a planetary scale rather than degraded localised systems which accumulate to mass destruction of a planet. Mm. What's your hope for Wednesday's event? Tell us, tell us more about it. Yeah, so Wednesday we're holding a public forum around sending a camera to the moon to live stream the whole Earth. Mm. So we've got some amazing speakers in the lunar industry uh, in Australia, Melbourne, and we're creating the space for open discussion. So we're pitching presentations from each speaker, then opening up to the audience for a dialogue. And look, my hope is that we have conversations that we haven't had yet. Mm. And we, we bring in topics that we're not aware of even, and we allow space to discover how we should actually act in space and bring that back into the industry, those lenses. And I think allowing ways of seeing and opening up for ideas can then go through the value chain towards built outcomes through engineering and and how we see the world. So, yeah, it's a really exciting event. Great you're going to be there moderating. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'll be... um hopefully, you know, moderating a conversation with all of the people who attend as the community, um, getting the opportunity to have their voice heard and to raise issues or comments or questions with the panellists as well. So I'm very looking forward to that. It should be a very good open conversation. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. One of the big topics that's been coming up a lot recently with regard to the environment on the moon is around mining the moon. And this morning we chatted to some um, year six kids at Fitzroy North Public School about you know, many issues, but one of the ones that came up for them was mining moon resources. And I was surprised that overwhelmingly their view was that we should avoid it, that we should find any and all ways to avoid mining the moon and changing the character of the moon in that way. How do you think about it, though, as, as someone who's got this landscape architect background? Yeah, great question. That was fantastic to hear those kids' responses. And also in contrast to that, overwhelmingly, a lot of them wanted to go to a habitable planet. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's what we want too. We want to be able to go beyond our solar system and set up the infrastructure for generations to do that, to go to other other habitable planets. 
how we do that, we have a model of extraction at the moment to fuel uh, energy, and that means cutting planets and extracting resources. So we appreciate that that's part of the system for us to move into the solar system and beyond as mm. fueling stations. But our concern is not causing mass destruction and ecocide loss to planetary systems. So, so that means understanding the overall system first and then working within that system to extract a resource which is finite and then allow you to move throughout the cosmos, uh, not leaving a trail of mass destruction. Mm. I did find it so interesting that for these young people, um, the six kids we spoke to, there was something distinct between the moon and other planets. So this idea that it would be fine to go and inhabit another planet that was like Earth, but that the moon itself was somehow special and the response was quite different as to how we would treat those. And I think that that in itself is really interesting and maybe because the you know, we can imagine an Earth-like planet having a very similar environment and therefore we can imagine how we might act in that. But there's something about the moon that demands something different from us. True. And we perhaps don't know what that demand is. There's perhaps concern around our current economic models which drive industry and business and growth. So should we replicate that on the moon and have it visible? The overwhelming consensus from the kids was not. Mm. Uh, which enters the point of what models do we take to the moon and do we bypass the moon onto those other planets first and leave the moon as it is because it's been such an important part of all of our cultures uh, mm. throughout throughout the, the years and the, the eons. So perhaps it is something to hold a bit more uh, precious. Thank you so much, Thomas. If you're interested at all, do come along on, um, remind us what day, what time? Wednesday, February the 26th, 6.15pm at the M Pavilion in Melbourne. Uh, free, free events, come down, hear Annie moderates, hear some fantastic speakers, join in, have a discussion. Yeah, it would be really great to meet anyone who's around and, and have a chat. Thank you, Thomas. Thanks, Annie. Thank you for listening to Space Junk and a special thank you to the kids whose voices you heard in this episode and their guardians for allowing them to take part. If you'd like to send me your questions for the panel on Wednesday, find me on Instagram or Twitter as at Annie Handmer and hashtag HelloEarth. You can also contact me by emailing thespacejunkpod at gmail.com. Finally, if you'd like to support the production costs of this podcast and keep us advertisement free, you can send us a monthly contribution at www.patreon.com slash thespacejunkpod. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.